Startup exits are the most sought after events in Silicon Valley, but very few people get to experience them. Welcome to the Startup Exits podcast, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. Hey everybody, this is your host Andrew Vasilik, and you're listening to Startup Exits, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. Today I'm joined by Ben Rubenstein, who is a founder of Yodel and Opsity, uh, both companies uh, he sold. Uh, so welcome to the show, Ben. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks for having me, Andrew. Uh, I always like having people that have multiple exits on the show. Uh, I think at this point, it is we can be pretty confident saying that it wasn't all uh, luck. I think there's you know, a certain degree of luck in any sort of success, but uh, at least you know, if, you, if you've done it over and over, then it, it's, not a, it's not a dominating factor. Um, both Yodel and Opsity, they are about 10 years apart. Uh, they're quite different businesses, so different target audiences, different industries, different co-founders. Uh, but the underlying stories are pretty intertwined. Uh, let's start off with the first one with Yodel. Uh, what is the company about? How did you get started with it? Tell us about the early days. Yeah, so uh, Yodel is an online marketing company for small businesses. So we help your local dentist, doctor, plumber, uh, build a website, get found online, and tradition, tr- transition from traditional advertising to online advertising. Uh, we started in 2005. Um, a good friend of mine um, from preschool, actually, in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, his father had a number of car dealerships in Connecticut. And um, one summer, he was the summer done four, uh, his dad put him in charge of all of the internet-related stuff, <laughs> right? Get us a website, right? Get us online. Uh, and this was the early days of uh, Google AdWords, um, Overture, who powered both uh, Yahoo and MSN at the time. And pretty much everybody uh, who was advertising there was national advertisers. And so that summer at the car dealership, the, you know, one of the ideas was, hey, you know, let's test um, to see if actually uh, this can work, paid search can work um, at a localized level. Uh, and so that's where a lot of the ideas of the business came from. Um, my co-founder there, Nathaniel, and another co-founder of mine, uh, John, we had all known each other uh, for a very long time. Uh, and um, really got the business going uh, that next year. Uh, Nathaniel uh, dropped out of school in the beginning of 2005. Uh, I had just uh, one semester to go, so I was doing, doing this during school. Uh, and it really was that summer that uh, we started to get some real traction. Um, the idea was uh, beyond car dealerships. It was, it was really for any small business. Uh, and so I was going uh, door-to-door in Philadelphia, uh, signing up local businesses um, for, for our product. Uh, and, uh, you know, we saw the yellow page industry was this $20 billion market that we believed was going to collapse, uh, and that spend was going to come online. And so it was helping transition these small businesses. Uh, and it was the early, early days. Uh, actually, one of our, um, uh, mottos back then was just because the web is worldwide doesn't mean your customer isn't next door. And we had to convince your local salon that people went to the World Wide web, uh, to find a salon in Philadelphia which is crazy to think of now, but people didn't necessarily believe us at the time. Um, and we started to scale very, very quickly. Uh, those first two years were, were pretty rough. I was uh, living on an arrow bed. We put every dollar we had into the company and moving kind of from different friends' houses every two months or so. Uh, but we got up to about a million dollar annual run rate. Uh, and at that point, I uh, had some credibility and 
uh, went to raise our first round of financing. Uh, and um, we pitched a number of different VCs and ended up going with uh, Bessemer Venture Partners out of New York uh, and moved our headquarters to New York. Um, and that was around early 2007. Mm-hmm. So 2005, you mentioned when you guys got started, this was very much in the middle of the internet paradigm shift. Uh, so at that time, the consumers, the, the people, they were, they were using Google and Yahoo and, and these online search engines to search for things. Uh, the big corporations, like you mentioned, were, were online. You could find them on Google, but the, the small local mom and pop kind of shops uh, were not. So uh, the, the question that I have is when somebody is in, in the middle of a paradigm shift, like you guys were, uh, was it obvious for you at that time that this big local advertisement industry, which was in, on Yellow Pages at that time, would be disrupted by the, this movement that's happening right now, the internet? Or was it more of a gut feeling? Well, I, I think it was a little of both. I mean, I think we, there was data to show that uh, online usage was spiking, uh, especially certain people searching for localized terms, uh, right? Dentist in Philadelphia, something like that. Um, there was also data to show that the yellow page industry, uh, was becoming less valuable. Um, I remember actually at Penn, uh, at our dorm, there'd be stacks and stacks of yellow pages delivered that would just stay outside and get gross in the rain. (laughs) And I said, there's something wrong about this, right? People are spending a lot of money to be in here and we don't even take it out of the plastic. Right. Uh, and so, and, and so that money we believed was going to shift. We were also, you know, early adopters and users of, of online. And it was very frustrating when you were looking for something locally uh, that you couldn't find it. Um, or that, you know, you'd search for a dentist in Philadelphia and see an ad for eBay. Um, and so, and this, again, the Google AdWords actually changed things a lot as well because it was a really easy self-serve tool. Uh, so just a few years earlier, it wouldn't have been possible to quickly get uh, local businesses online either. You joined the company as the co-founder that would sell. So you, you were the main salesman in the early days. Uh, how come Nathaniel brought you on as a salesman? Did you have any sales experience prior to that? Uh, well, I was in college and Nathaniel and I had known each other for a very long time. And uh, we had a great time, uh, a good selling experience in high school once. So because his father had those car dealerships, he would uh, get a lot of um, free tickets to different uh, concerts right? Because he did a lot of other advertising. And so they give him that. So one day, Nathaniel called me up and said, uh, I have uh, 50 free tickets to, uh, it was an sync concert. <laughs> and uh, now they all said $0 on them because they were promotional tickets. We said, you know, can we sell these together and make some money? And uh, so I remember driving up um, to, uh, to the venue with Nathaniel. And um, not only did we sell all of them, we sold out, uh, you know, I think we made like $500 or so, which was a ton of money for us in high school. Um, And we said, man, we should really do more of these things together. Um, So, uh, you know, when when he had uh, that time that summer when he was working for his dad, we were talking a lot more and um, we knew we always wanted to do something together. So So I I think you had more than enough sales experience needed to, to become head of sales at a startup. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I look, I think I've naturally um, always, you know, sold things and been a salesman. Uh, I remember when, and, and sales management too. When I was in um, fifth grade, uh, I, I used to bring candy to school. There's uh, these airhead candies. And I used to sell them in my uh, class to all of my students, and to the other kids. And then uh, I would sell out every day. 
Uh, so I started getting more and said, well, look, I want to get to other students. So I would have different runners in other classes. And in the morning, I'd fill them up with candy. And then at the end of the day, they'd you know, uh, give me the money that they, they sold. And I remember one of them uh, defected once. Uh, and we were selling for a quarter and he went and sold 15 cents. <laughs> uh, and so all the, the kids in the other classes uh, wanted to lower their price. And I said, no, we sell out every day. We're sticking to our price. <laughs> and we're going to get our quarter for every, for every candy. So I guess I was doing early sales management then. What do you think is it about you that, um, that makes you a good salesman? Like what sort of qualities that you have? Uh, or maybe more broadly, like what sort of qualities make a good salesman? Hmm. Uh, well, I remember uh, when I was very young, uh, I wasn't good at taking no for an answer. That's what my parents would always say. Uh, and so I think uh, a good salesman is not afraid to get a lot of rejection. Right. And not afraid to ask maybe the same, uh, just ask the business multiple times. So I think that's uh, a natural part of it. I think, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people tell me, oh, so and so would be great at sales. Everyone loves them. They're very personal. I think that is important to a point. But actually, some of the best salespeople I know do the opposite. They make you feel um, very uncomfortable and they're not afraid to put someone in an uncomfortable position uh, and really challenge their beliefs. Um, there's a great book called The Challenger Sale that looks at all these different sales personalities. And there's kind of the person who's the friend or the intellect, but ultimately the person who is the best salesman is the one who challenges somebody's current beliefs uh, and challenges the status quo. Um, and when somebody says, wow, you know, I didn't see it that way, uh, then not only do they build a lot of trust, they typically buy their product. So um, I don't know, maybe I've always been a challenger in a lot of ways. And eventually at Yodel, you transitioned into uh, the, the person that was selling to a person that was in charge of the entire sales team. Uh, so these qualities that you just mentioned, the person that challenges uh, someone else's beliefs, uh, is not afraid to be rejected, not afraid to, to, to challenge and make other people uncomfortable. Uh, how, do you, how do you hire for these kind of qualities? Like how do you find them during the interview process? Like during the process of building up your sales team, how did you look for these kind of qualities? Yeah. So actually, I could tell you a little of my experience in hiring salespeople, and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, so when we first started, we said, all right, we want to hire salespeople who used to sell the Yellow Pages, right? Because these are people who uh, have sold to the same customer base. It's just going to be changing a little bit of their pitch. And we found that that really was a bad strategy. Those guys um, had been used to big books of business. They weren't actually uh, able to pivot as much to the product that we wanted. Mm. So I got really frustrated. I said, okay, well, uh, these guys aren't selling. I'm selling. Let me try to hire other people like me. So I was looking for, say, college-educated people, uh, people with maybe similar personalities to me and things like that. Uh, and I found that was hard as well because um, you know, sometimes people in those roles either thought they were too good for the job or, or they uh, didn't want to be in the role very long. And so uh, it was frustrating because I was like, look, I can't find, you know, a resume is not going to get me the answer here. We find some of our best salespeople here. You would never know uh, based on their resume. So uh, it really became more of a personality test and understanding who someone is more than what they've done. And their resume was kind of meaningless. So, uh, you know, I've met thousands of salespeople between Yodel and, and OpCity. And I think I've narrowed it down to really three main characteristics that we look for. Um, when we're both interviewing somebody and that we've seen is, is successful. Um, the first one is coachability. Uh, somebody who um, not only 
uh, asks to uh, for for support and wants to learn, uh, but is able to quickly absorb feedback uh, and then take that feedback and implement it uh, in, in their process. Uh, I remember a professor of mine once said, uh, "Cash flow over ego," and you'll see there's a lot of salespeople with a lot of with big egos uh, and guys who can check their ego and are hungry to learn and then easy uh, and then can easily you know. Uh, repeat that process, I think, are, are very successful. Uh, the second thing that we look for is work ethic. Um, this is a job, especially on the phone, where you're going to have to make a lot, a lot of calls. You're going to have to put in a lot of hours. Uh, and you just want to be able to have someone who's going to get more repetition and more, more opportunities than somebody else. Uh, we see there's an, a great book called Talent is Overrated, um, where they talk about you know, and so many people who are at the top of what their of their craft are not there because they're just naturally talented, but because they put so many hours. And uh, I think great, great salespeople put uh, you know tens of thousands of hours into their craft. Uh, and then the final one, and probably the most important one, we screen for is um, is attitude. Uh, a, someone you know, there's going to be a lot of rejection in sales. We just talked about that before, right? Uh, if you're a great baseball player, you hit 300. That means you failed seven out of ten times. Uh, at our company, if you're a great salesman and you make you know a hundred dials in a day in one sale, uh, that you had a phenomenal day, right? That means you failed 99% of the time. And being able to deal with that failure and rejection and keep a positive attitude through it is much easier said than done. Uh, and so we do everything we can to help motivate people, but a lot of that is, can you? Uh, are you naturally not just a happy person, but a positive person and one who can? Uh, you know, take that much rejection. Right. So I think those are the three key things we look for: that uh, coachability, work ethic, uh, and attitude. Okay, so that's that's what you look for when you were hiring people. Uh, how how did you manage your sales team? Like, how how many people did you have at the peak of Yoro? At Yoro, the peak, we had uh, close to fifteen hundred people in the company. Uh, between sales and service, over a thousand. Wow. That's a, that's a huge team. Uh, how did you manage them, motivate them, the, the sales team in particular? Yeah, so um, the early days of Yodel, uh, we weren't very scripted. And we were looking for people with, may say, more natural sales talent. Uh, but we found through time, not only was that harder to hire for, right? People who had a lot of natural sales ability, uh, but it was also harder to manage and coach and train when everybody's doing something different. So originally, we created a script and we said, okay, we want to have an easy process that everyone can on board. And we created this, uh, we had all the best sales minds come together and we built this script of what everybody should say. And we rolled it out to everyone and it completely flopped, <laughs> right? <laughs> the script was terrible. And that's because it was a script that was, had never been used in the wild, right? It was words that were put together, maybe a compromise from a, a few great you know, salespeople. So we pivoted how we did scripting, and we actually took the salesperson who was number one and also did things in an incredibly scalable manner and said the same things every time. We literally wrote word for word every word he said in his script. And some of it seemed strange that we're using it. We said, look, these actual words uh, made sales. Uh, And people wanted to use the actual words of uh, the top salesperson. Uh, And so we rolled out that script, and it not only, you know, Increased sales productivity by fifty percent. It uh, helped management and it allowed us to have a larger span of control as well, because managers could, knew that everybody was saying the same thing, 
uh, and coachings were so much easier. Uh, our typical span of control of a manager is maybe 12 to 18 reps. Um, and another thing that we did to, you know, in sales management, uh, oftentimes what's most important, which is development and coaching and being there on the ground with your team, uh, is on the bottom of a manager's list. And what's most urgent, you know, like HR issues or, or interviews or all these other things uh, are on the top of the list. And so this urgency uh, and, and all these urgent matters take up all of the time and, and none of the important stuff gets done. So our philosophy towards management was take everything away that we possibly can for the frontline sales manager, except for coaching and development. So we had all HR issues done by centralized HR. Uh, we had all interviewing and hiring and recruiting done by a centralized team. We had all training. We had a month-long training and you couldn't uh, join a sales team until you were, you know, in essence, a finished product. Uh, so the managers, all they did was coach and develop. And that's why our team was so successful uh, is because their managers were present and were able to really help them. I think the common story that we see, uh, and this is especially true for very high-tech startups, uh, is you have founders that are very technical. Uh, it, could, it could maybe just be one founder. A uh, very technical founder who lacks, uh, especially if this is his or her first startup, uh, lacks kind of the business side of things, the sales experience and ability to sell. Um, what would you say to people like this? Like, how do, how do you learn sales if, you never, if, if you're not a salesman, if you've never sold before? Well, I think we all have some sales ability. Um, but I think a lot of what, you know, the infrastructure that we've put in place took us many, many years to refine and learn. So I would recommend to that person to find a co-founder. You know, in, in both of my companies, I've had co-founders who I'm very, very close with. I don't know how you do this thing alone. You know, there are so many times where you want to quit and you need someone there to, to help support you. There's so many discussions you want to have and, and ideas you want to have, and you can't necessarily do that with just your direct reports. You need some uh, peer that you really, really trust. Um, so if you're incredibly technical and, ha and, and don't have that kind of uh, business or sales ability, bring someone on who is a great kind of mirror to you and partner to you um, that you that you can trust. So I know I don't know if that's the best answer, but if, I think it's a find find your partner because that person doesn't have the technical ability either, uh, and you can make a really really great team. Yeah, and I think it goes kind of both ways. You know, if you're if you're very, very business focused and you're running a tech uh, focused startup, then you know you you, you got to find offshoring is one thing, and you know maybe contract getting out of uh, an MVP is you know maybe okay, but. In, in general, you know, you got to try to find somebody that could really run the technical side of things that you could trust. Uh, you mentioned that at your role, the first two years were, uh, were, were difficult. And I think for, for many startups, they are. Uh, it took you two years to get your, to your first million uh, in revenue per year. Uh, two years later, you were almost at 20 million. Another two years, you were at 60. And then two years uh, after that, you were at 130. Uh, so the company was, followed, a, I would say, a pretty nice exponential J-curve kind of growth. Uh, eventually, after 10 years of being in business, you guys were acquired by Web.com for $350 million. Uh, how did the acquisition go down with Web.com? And, and I just want to make one quick point on the previous one as well about um, finding that co-founder or if you don't have those abilities. You know, when in, at OpCity, um, I'm not an engineer, but I didn't want to outsource our product and I really wanted to uh, find a, a strong engineering leader. So there's two things I did. Uh, before uh, I hired Jason Goldberger as our head of engineering, 
uh, I interviewed 75 different people to make sure the person was a great culture fit and we could work really well together. But the other piece is I had some technical advisors who I really, really trusted. Uh, so I could do part of the interview, but I, let, I had good advisors around me do the other piece of it. And so if you're a founder who either doesn't have the sales ability or doesn't have the technical ability or the business ability, bring on some advisors who can help you not only think through some of these problems, but interview and bring on that, that talent. Very uh, but anyway, point. so... Yeah, yeah uh, sorry, just to add uh, a very good point about advisors. And I think for, for even if it's your first venture, you know, a lot of people that say out of college, they don't have uh, a network. Maybe they're thinking, okay, I don't have these kind of advisors. The great thing about startups is that the community is very helpful. Like people especially ones that, you know, not, not, not even especially ones that had a success, but in general, people are very helpful to each other. They know it's a very hard road. So uh, even if you reach out to people like cold email, uh, many people, you know, would be, would be more than willing to, to help and, and advise. I, I couldn't have been more and uh, done what we did at Yodel or UpCity without a lot of advisors around me to compliment my skills. And I'm an, an advisor to a number of organizations as well. Uh, I'm on the board of a few other startups. Um, I've invested in a few other startups. So that's one other thing. Um, you can get both strategic advisors, uh, but strategic investors as well. And in your early days, don't just take any money. Take money from people who you know can help you in areas where you're weak and you need that, uh, that extra support. Yeah. Um, cool. So your question was around uh, the acquisition of Yodel by uh, web.com. So actually, uh, I had left Yodel uh, about eight, nine months before the acquisition. Um, you know, we had been at this about 10 years. Um, and I think I was getting a, a little antsy. You know, uh, I remember the early startup days and I had learned so much over that decade. And I really wanted to, to get going and, and, and get another startup uh, moving. Um, you know, when, when we first started Yodel, we were so young and didn't have a lot of experience. And part of the deal when we raised our first round of financing is that we would bring in a CEO uh, who did have more experience. Uh, which I thought was a, a great move. Uh, going back to cash flow over ego, right? Uh, we all said we'd rather have a smaller piece of a much larger pie than complete control over something where it wasn't really going to scale. Um, so I learned so much from tremendous mentors at Yodel. And I said, this time, I want to found a company uh, and be the CEO and take those learnings. And I think I had that, um, that burning desire for some time. Uh, and so that, and that is why I left. Um, you know, I think... Uh, web.com, it was a great compliment because web uh, had a number of different, um, uh, purchased a number of different hosting companies who had you know, a tremendous number of small business customers. Uh, and so that was what our product was, was selling online marketing to small businesses. Uh, they had a lot of customers spending you know, $9.99 a year in domain registration. How could we upsell them to our, to our products? Um, so they were a natural fit. Okay. So you, you left uh, Yodel, you wanted to start another company, and a few years before the acquisition of Yodel by web.com, uh, Yodel acquired another company called ProfitFuel. Uh, that company was uh, run by David Rubin, who previously founded a company called Home City, yeah. uh, which to some degree, uh, I think is related to your next company, which you founded just a few months after leaving Yodel, uh, OpCity. Uh, what is the relationship between Home City and OpCity? Yeah, so Dave is a tremendous guy. He's one of the people who convinced me to move to Austin once we acquired ProfitFuel. Uh, that was his company that he had started um, and around the same time we started Yodel, actually. But prior to that, he had uh, founded a residential real estate brokerage in Austin and Dallas. 
Um, and this brokerage wasn't huge. It was maybe 2% of the Austin and Dallas market in terms of total volume of homes sold. Uh, but uh, they were buying over 40% of the online leads available. So they had built their whole brokerage around taking uh, online leads and passing them to the right agent at the right time and holding that agent accountable to get a close. And these guys were closing at two to three times the national average. It was crazy what they were doing and how they were able to convert online leads. So it reminded me a lot of the early days of Yodel, right? Where there was this paradigm shift. Um, traditionally in real estate, most business has come from somebody's sphere of influence, right? Their cousins, their friends, people they know. But as portals like uh, Realtor and Zillow and others uh, started and consumers, instead of starting with an agent, they started online, uh, that dynamic was changing. And uh, what was happening is there were consumers out there who wanted an agent, but the relationship is very, very different when you know someone versus your sphere of influence versus you don't know somebody, which is what was coming online lead. And so we saw what was happening at the small brokerage uh, in Austin and Dallas and said, wow, with some process and technology, we can actually take this concept and scale it to brokers across the whole country. Uh, and as more and more consumers aren't starting with their you know, neighbor to be their agent, they're, they're starting online. Um, there's a real business here and we can help a lot of people, uh, much like we had at Yodel. How did you get like you home home city is or up city sorry it's a it's a real estate focused company and uh, if I'm not mistaken you, you you don't have any previous like real estate experience and uh, similarly with Yodel you didn't you didn't come from like a background of, of marketing and and advertising so uh, how how important do you think is it for founders to have industry expertise in things that they're starting. So I don't know if the founder themselves needs industry expertise, but you need a way to get caught up very, very quickly and make sure that what you're building has real product market fit. So that's why say teaming up with Home City was perfect, right? Home City had been around for 15 years before I showed up uh, and had been working on a similar problem in the wild. Uh, and so I wasn't as concerned with the product market fit because I knew there were actually users uh, who had you know been using this product and thinking through this? Uh, I think at Yodel as well. Um, yes, <coughs> we were uh, disrupting a marketing space, but um, you know we were working with so many different industries. There wasn't outside of the yellow pages anyone who had thought about marketing holistically to all these different verticals. Um, so I think you need to be able to quickly pick up an industry and learn. Um, I spent a lot of time in the early days of OpCity just researching and understanding the world. I also thought I had a, a competitive advantage to those who had been in the world too long in that I, could, uh, I had an outsider's point of view. I know a number of people who have been in real estate, and a lot of their answer to things is always, well, we've always done it that way. Oh, and oh, well, that's just how it is. Right. Uh, and coming from the outside, you have a new perspective, which is really, really health healthy. That's a good point. Um- City started 2015, I believe. Uh, 2018 was the acquisition, so roughly three years, three, four years being in business. Uh, during this time, you guys scaled from zero to 600 people, extremely impressive. And eventually, the company was acquired by Realtor.com for about $200 million. So overall, you've got two acquisitions uh, over the, the span of 15 years, uh, about half a billion total. Uh, in exit values, and uh, I think you guys across two companies employed over 2,000 people. So very, very quick scale, uh, very large scale uh, as well, and, and big exits. How did the acquisition of Opsity 
happened? Like, how were you guys approached by Realtor.com? Was there any sort of partnership before that? Can you give us a little bit more details around that? Yeah. So we had a deep relationship with Realtor.com since day one. Um, they were our largest partner and we were their largest client. And so, um, you know, it was really interesting because they had built a business for a long time around building an amazing search and discovery experience, right? When it used to be you wanted to buy a home, you had no access to data and you had to find a local agent. Now consumers could start their process online and have the access to the same data that any agent did uh, in real time from the MLS. But that's where they stopped, right? They, uh, somebody would fill out a lead form and then they'd sell that to an agent or to us. And they saw what we were doing was really interesting because we continued that process, right? We continued that relationship with that consumer and helped them get all the way to close. <clears throat> so it was a really good natural fit. Um, and so I, I think in a lot of acquisitions, there's sometimes it's hard to build trust, right? And so we had built trust with them for many, many years, which made the acquisition process a lot easier. Uh, unlike if somebody just approaches you out of the blue. Um, and it just was a really natural fit between the companies. Um, and was really where a realtor was looking to go to help the consumer not just search in, for a home, uh, but actually move into that home uh, and actually live in a home instead of just the kind of the search and discovery experience. You mentioned that you had a partnership with Realtor.com in, in, in the very early days of OpCity. Uh, were you in some ways kind of optimizing for an exit uh, or did you think a, a potential exit with somebody like Realtor.com, which, which is a large company? Uh, well, actually, its parent company was the one that bought you out, Move Inc. Uh, did, you, did you think that an acquisition was realistic? Were you optimizing for it or uh, was it kind of a surprise when, when this talks of acquisition started going, happening? Um, so I guess the answer is both. Look, I, I think if you're, if you're building a company to be acquired, you never will, right? You need to build a healthy standalone organization um, that uh, you can either go at it and be uh, completely independent or you potentially can come and, and help another business. But at the same time, you can't be ignorant to who your potential acquirers could be. Uh, and so in this commercial relationship we had with them, um, we would have been happy to keep going on, on a commercial scale and scaling there uh, or coming together, we thought made a lot of sense. Um, but I, I do caution founders who are building a company to, to be acquired. At that point, you may just be building a product, not a standalone company. Um, and in the negotiation, you need to have alternatives and you need to be able to walk away and say no. Mm-hmm. Um, we had you know, a really interesting decision to make. We had term sheets from, we, we were looking to raise money at the same time that a realtor acquired us. And so we had to decide at that point, does it make sense to come together with the resources of realtor? Uh, or does it make sense for us to raise a bunch of money and, and go at it solo? Uh, and I think given that you know, Real.com has been around for 25 years and it is a gigantic consumer brand with over 70 million people going to their site a month, uh, it made a lot of sense to come together with that, that incumbent. So at that time, you've, um, the, the time of the acquisition by Realtor.com of Upcity, you've been on both sides of the, ta- of the acquisition table. So with Yodel, uh, even, from the, even though you were sort of on the sidelines, but you still experienced acquisition by um, <clears throat> by web.com and then uh, Yodel acquired another company the, the profit view which we discussed uh, yeah, we, did... we actually acquired three companies while I was there okay so you, you, you've had experience of multiple acquisitions from both sides of the table did this help uh, with the negotiations of realtor.com or at all with, a, with acquis- I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is if, if you've been through an exit once uh, do you have like a significant kind of advantage uh, in, in your next 
uh, acquisitions or one hundred percent. Okay. Yes. Uh, I, I um, you know, every, every time you go through this, you see things that you might not have seen a previous time. Um, you know, I think you understand the importance of good attorneys to help you out. You look through a lot of the details, and and you know where's that places that oh they got us there last last time. I'm not going to go through that that piece again. Uh, you know, a lot of the negotiation is not just about, um, you have to have a really strong relationship with the other side, uh, and there's a lot of trust needed there. I think another important one is not just doing due diligence on the company, uh, but doing due diligence on the culture, right? If you're going to combine with someone, either acquire their culture or acquire their company, or uh, be acquired yourself, you're going to need to spend a lot of time uh, with this other group in integration and building a unified culture. You know, we had uh, 600 people in our company at the time. Uh, and a lot of people I had convinced to leave other jobs to come to our opportunity. Uh, a lot of people I knew and worked with in other places. And so I wanted to make sure that this would be a, uh, not just a good dollar exit, but a good cultural exit and that these companies could work well together. So I think that's one thing some companies miss is doing the kind of cultural due diligence and to understand whether these teams uh, would be successful together. Uh, the last thing I want to discuss with you is uh, looking ahead, so the future. Uh, if we take a look at Yodel, you guys started off as a purely service-based company, which over time you guys have turned into a product-based company. Uh, so you automated a lot of the things that, that were manual, uh, and uh, it was a product-based solution which started off as a, as a service-based one. Uh, if you take a look at Opsity, it is, of course, it's a product, it's a marketplace, uh, but a lot of the buying real estate process, it's still service-based, right? You still have real estate agents. There's still a lot of uh, kind of human work that goes into it. Uh, do you think that the future of real estate is, uh, at least in the, in the near future terms, uh, will become automated to a degree where a product uh, could essentially, where a person could go and complete the entire home buying experience using just a product? So I think that will be possible. And I think what you're asking is, could I completely buy a home without other, any people involved? But I think that's going to be very rare. Um, you know, I think about real estate agents. There's really three main jobs that they've served historically. The first is find me a home, right? I'm looking to buy, you know, where should I live? Um, because of Realtor and Zillow and other portals, that part of the agent's job has really gone away in a lot of ways, right? Um, most consumers start their process online uh, before they ever speak to an agent. And even throughout the process, they're continually looking at something like a realtor.com to find homes. And so the agent doesn't do that kind of find me a home as much anymore. And that's been automated. You can say that's been productized and self-served. The second part of agent's job um, has been take me to a home, show me a home, right? Um, and a lot of that is being automated as well. Uh, consumers can now do kind of fingerprint lock boxes and get into homes themselves. Uh, they can do, uh, you know, virtual reality tours and don't actually need to go into the home and can see what the home would look like if we painted the walls differently or put our furniture in there. Um, and so, you know, they can, even they can get into a self-driving car hope soon and be taken around to these different, uh, different properties. So I think a lot of the show me around to homes has gone away. But the third and probably the most part important job of a real estate agent is negotiate and get me a good price for my home if I'm selling or a good price to buy this home if I'm buying. And that part of the job is, has definitely not gone away. 
Uh, I remember I bought a condo in Austin a few years ago, uh, and I wanted one price and the developer wanted another, right? Or at this standstill. Uh, my agent says to the developer, I've already put four people in this building. You don't take his price. I'm never bringing anybody back. Guess what? I got my price, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He was not only a good negotiator, but he was an agent who had that credibility where 99% of other agents couldn't have because he had that experience there. So I do think it's going to be, you know, for the largest purchase of most people's lives, having somebody in your corner to help you negotiate is super, super important. Um, and that negotiation um, could mean a lot of money. You know, what a house is worth is what someone's willing to pay for it. Right, and how do you get that that price up or uh, or down if you're if you're the buyer? Um, you know, I think in some markets that negotiation isn't as important because all the properties are the same. So you look at uh, i buyers, which are people who make instant offers on properties like uh, Open Door, Offerpad. They're in markets like uh, Phoenix or Atlanta, where there's a lot of cookie cutter homes, and so there's not as much negotiation needed because of that price point. Uh, and because they're you know all new homes that are pretty much identical, but a lot of the country uh, homes are not identical, and it's not an easy way to value them. And also, for emotional reasons, some people might value them more than others. And so, having an agent in your corner to do that negotiation, um, who's a good negotiator, is really really important. So I think um, in the future there will be many fewer agents who will able be able to be much more productive because they're only focusing on one piece of the transaction. Uh, but those people will be very, very valuable because they'll be able to negotiate on, on your behalf. I mean, another way to look at it is, um, you know, I could represent myself in court, but I don't. <laughs> when the stakes are really high, uh, I'm going to pay for a lawyer because they have a pro- you know, more experience this and a higher probability of, of helping me out there. Uh, and last thought on that, I think real estate's going to go a lot like financial services has. So at the very top end of the financial services market, there are still financial advisors who um, you know, people are willing to pay a lot of money to because the stakes are really high and, uh, and, the, and there's a high desire for service there and not people aren't as price conscious. At the very bottom of the end of the market in financial services, there's say you know, E-Trade, right, where I can self-serve and do everything myself, but I'm probably not doing this for huge amounts of money. And then there's the in-between, say, Betterment, which there's robo-advising, but when I really need it in the end, uh, there will be a human there um, to, to support me. So, and that's kind of, so there's the, you know, do it yourself, do it for me. And then in the middle there, do it with me. Uh, I think more of real estate will go to that, do it with me world, uh, much like a lot of financial services has. So, so that's the future of, of real estate. Um, how about the future of the industry of Ural? So Ural disrupted uh, Yellow Pages, uh, then all of the local listings, which were in a, in a big book that many people didn't read now. Are online, and I feel like over the past 15 years, there hasn't been a whole lot of disruption in, in local advertising. Sure, I mean, there's many things that are done now uh, in, in, in order to serve much more relevant ads, in order to serve better ads. And I think the ads themselves have changed, but at the end of the day, you're still getting ads on your phone or, or on your computer. Uh, what do you think the future of local advertising is going to look like in, let's say, the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, so local is hard. It's hard to uh, efficiently connect with that many small businesses who don't have a lot of money. Um, you see the rise of even Groupon or Living Social who came to a big bang and then a, a pretty bad crash. So there's a lot of people trying to figure out local. I think a lot of the future of local is going to be more self-serve. Um, 
you know, that is easier to do. Um, you see uh, Google's done some really interesting things. I don't know if you saw um, Google Duplex, where they uh, helped local small businesses with automation of um, making, you know, appointments and things like that. Um, so uh, local is still a, a market that has not completely been cracked. Uh, but I think as self-service becomes easier, and as you could say, local business owners become more tech-savvy, uh, there'll be more products where there'll be that that self-service world. And I and I think it'll be much like as I just said, real estate and financial services. Uh, I think in the past there was too much kind of one size fits all, right? Uh, so you could say the yellow pages. Whether you are a very sophisticated small business owner or not sophisticated uh, in marketing at all, you had one option for the most part. Uh, I think through time, much like financial services, there'll be a lot more uh, do-it-yourself. Uh, there'll be um, do-it-with-me, which is either with a human or with some form of automation like Better- Betterment or some AI. Uh, and then at the very, very high end, there'll be those kind of you know, boutique shops that'll help people out. So I think there'll be more options depending on people's sophistication level. Uh, it is very different, though. In 2005, you know, uh, I would ask somebody, what's your website? And they'd give me their email address. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think uh, small business owners have become a lot more sophisticated in the last 15 years, and, and that will continue. Right. Uh, lastly, what is the future hold for Ben Rubinstein? So, uh, Opsity got acquired two years ago. You are still with, uh, with Realtor.com. Uh, any plans of doing another startup in the future? Or what's, what's, what's your general plan? You want to lay low for a little bit? What, what do you have in mind? Well, laying low has not really ever been my style. So I think even if I wanted to do that, it would be hard. <laughs> Between Yodel and Knopf City, uh, my wife and I traveled for a few months and I was just so, you know, uh, maybe anxious or jittery to go get into the next one. Uh, so I, at least as of right now, I don't know how to relax very well. Um, so I think in the short term, uh, yeah, I'm on the executive team of Realer.com and I'm really, really excited with what we're building. You know, um, Realer.com, as I said, has been this great, uh, place to search and discover properties. OpCity, we've built amazing tools for brokers and agents and internal tools for ourselves to help get it, uh, you know, a deal from when somebody raises their hand all the way to close. But there hasn't been anyone who's really solved the full end-to-end solution. And our next journey is building the tools to help those consumers after they've found that property all the way to close. And so uh, there's a reason I want, you know, I wasn't going to just sell OpCity to anybody. And the reason coming together with Realtor is this end-to-end consumer experience we've been uh, desiring to build. You know, the average consumer talks to 10 to 40 different vendors in the home buying process. And it's really stressful. This is the largest financial decision most people make. Um, and, it's, and it's broken, right? I, I think about, you know, in Austin, um, if I wanted to get a taxi, um, you know, eight years ago before Uber, I would, you know, call up, they say, ah, 20 to 40 minutes, maybe they'd show up, they'd tell me their credit card machine was broken. It was just a terrible consumer experience. Now with Uber and Lyft, everything's integrated into one place. Payments are integrated in there, GPS is integrated in there. Uh, and so it's just, I can't imagine going back to the old world. Uh, real estate's stuck in that old taxi world. Uh, and we are helping to bring it to that one-stop shop, Uberized experience. Uh, so that gets me really excited and gets me, you know, motivated and pumped to do what I'm doing every day. Um, but I think in parallel to that, I've been doing a lot of things, as I was saying, in advising other startups. Uh, and because I've seen this movie a few times, I think uh, I've been able to really help a number of founders who are phenomenal people, um, help them with scaling their sales force, help them with fundraising, help them with thinking about partners and negotiating, help them with hiring, 
um, and a lot of the other things that so many other mentors helped me with. So I, I think a lot of the future for me, um, in parallel to the, what we're building with Realtor, um, is to get other startups going. Um, I see the value in what we've built, how many people we've employed, how many people we've impacted their lives, products that we've built. Um, and it's very, very motivating for me. And uh, I'm excited to do a lot more of it. I think that if history is any indicator, uh, looking at your past two companies, uh, when you do decide to start your third one, I think anybody would be fortunate enough to be on its cap table. Uh, ben, thank you very much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on. Hey, thank you so much for the invite. And uh, if I can help you in any way, please let me know. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and share it with your friends. Also tag a founder you'd like to see on the show. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. To learn more, visit startupsoft.org.